Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the VP Editorial Director of PR Week and I am delighted to be hosting this week's special podcast with a very special guest. It's Richard Edelman, the most famous PR person in the world, so I'm told. Richard, how are you? Welcome to the show. Barrett, I'm happy to be here. Let's do you've, this. You've got your title back from Sean Spicer. You, you've batted a few challenges off over the years. And well, you know, we're thank, you're thank hanging in there. I am, in fact. Yeah. But, that, but actually, to that point, it's 40 years since you came into PR. Last week, uh, started up in Chicago, brought into the business. Um, how does that feel, 40 years? It must, it, does it seem like yesterday or is it, is it flown by? 20 of those are CEO, I think, of Edelman. But yeah. it's a, an incredible achievement. How, how, what were your reflections on it? So reflections are that um, I'm really, really happy that uh, Edelman remained a uh, private and family-held business, that that was the right strategy. Um, I had a lot of mentors along the way, John Scanlon, uh, Mike Morley, uh, David Davis, um, I had great colleagues, Leslie Dock, Pam Talbot, um, and people who've worked with me for years, Matt Harrington, Russ Dubner, Lisa Sepulveda. So, um, you know, it makes you remember all of the, uh, the war stories of, you know, the launch of Advil and writing the press kit at the uh, CEO's office and yeah. rushing the samples of Advil before the Bristol-Myers product got there and, you know, it was a very different scene. It was all mainstream media. It was really three networks and uh, a lot of local media and media tours. Um, and I've also been deeply privileged to work on crises, you know, going back to Love Canal, you know, the first hazardous waste site or the uh, flood of downtown Chicago in the early 90s because somebody did a bad job of dredging. <laughs> and um, it was actually a company owned by Blackstone, believe it or not. And then more recently... Uh, Campaigns, you know, for Penn State, um, or uh, more recently with um, Wells Fargo, with Wells Fargo yeah. and Samsung, Samsung. etc. In United, yeah, yeah, that was a good year, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it kept me busy. Yeah. Um, what's 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 really stayed the same in the industry in that time, and what are the things that have changed most? I mean, we'll come on to talking about that, but but you know, just as a snapshot, what are, what are the things that have changed, have, have stayed the same, and what what have been the biggest changes? I think the biggest change is actually the um, change in order of, of the leading firms. Um, when I came into the business, it was Hill and Knowlton, Burson Marsteller, Carl Beyer, um, and you know, well down the list were uh, Edelman, Fleischman. There was no Weber Shanwick, um, and so that's definitely changed. What's remained the same is this um, idea that you know you really have to. Um, have the, the credible source of, of um, earned media. And in fact, the, the power of earned is only enhanced by shared media. And the idea somehow that um, you can't buy public opinion. You actually have got to engage. And you know, one can have a, a difference with President Trump on, on policy, but his idea of going directly to the end user of information is a profound one. And we all have to consider that. 
very effective in a, from a communications point of view with his court, for sure, yeah. Um, what about, um, it's, it's, that's a good point you made about the agencies that were you know, riding high at the time, and I guess that means there's no room for complacency at any point because you can see what happened to some of those bigger players who are now they're still in the top ten, but they're, by no, they're nowhere near the, the top. And you took, when you took over the CEO, I think Edelman was something like 180 million, is that? No, Ed- Edelman was uh, under 90 under 90. Yeah. And now it's almost 10 times that, almost it's, 900 million. So it, that incredible achievement. Mm-hmm. What, what do you put that down to mainly? Well, Edelman's been able to grow because we've had the money to invest in intellectual capital, such as the trust barometer. That's been a big uh, boost to us. Also, uh, we have consistently taken our earnings in the U.S. and invested them outside of the U.S. in buying companies. Uh, and we've been able to retain our senior people and who've made the difference um, and, and had clients willing to trust us as we evolved the firm first from marketing into corporate and crisis and then into the digital sphere and most recently into uh, creative. And so in each instance, clients have given us the benefit of the doubt and trusted us to, to, to grow. Do you think global was a big part of that? I think that was one of Harold Burson's uh, achievements, wasn't it, taking his business global? And, and do you think that Edelman did that and did it at scale? Well, Hill and Knowlton and Burson actually did it a decade at least before Edelman did um, into China, India, et cetera, because in a certain way their, their size and scale and also the fact that they were a corporate firm um, made it easier. Um, we came a decade later. Our emphasis initially was brand marketing, and that was something that was in the purview of the ad agencies initially overseas. But we've made a very good um, growth uh, strategy. It's now uh, about 45% of our business, XUS, and that's a very big chunk. Yeah, it's, it's coming up to half of it, isn't it? And it it's obviously was a family business with Dan and Ruth and through yourself and now through your children, and you're committed to making that the way it's going to be. Tell us a little bit about your feelings on that. Well, I have two daughters in the business, um, Margot and Tori, and the third one, Amanda, is still at a a foundation. Um, Tori's off to business school in in the fall. But I've told all three of them that um, it's my fondest wish that one of them or more of them would succeed me, but that they have to be the most qualified. And otherwise, it'll be a non-family person because, you know, there's 6,000 people at Edelman who rely on on leadership and so let's see how it goes over yeah. the next 10 years okay we're obviously going to track that but let's talk a little bit about you've landed on this concept communications marketing a few years ago and that's been really successful as you said you've hired lots of creatives you've got taken on different skills you're making ads you're doing media buying you're doing all that good stuff tell us about what you're launching today it's the tagline is act with certainty how does that build on uh, communications marketing and what what are you sort of taking forward here and what are you trying to say with this communication? Act with certainty is our deep conviction that clients have to do something. They can't just communicate. They have to change. They have to evolve. They need to be good for society. And actually, the genesis of this comes from trust, where we find now that um, the public expects that business is actually going to lead change. Two-thirds of people say that they don't want CEOs to wait around for government. They want CEOs to speak up. 
They want companies to act um, to on their supply chain, sustainability, uh, LGBT, um, racism, any of these issues which five years ago you would have thought that companies would be crazy to um, take the risk. But in fact, if you want to get the best and brightest employees, if you actually want to have the top talent, you've got now to step up and step out. And that's a big message for us. And it's a point of differentiation from ad agencies, which are deeply creative, but they don't come from the same background that we do, which is about public policy and understanding stakeholders and understanding employees. We have a much more nuanced view of the world. We get the fact that the world is complicated and complex. But acting with certainty is our message to corporations that you're much better advised to take Teddy Roosevelt's advice. The best thing is to do the right thing. The next best thing is to do the wrong thing. And the worst thing is to do nothing. Yeah, interesting. But doing the right thing and acting with certainty, how do you do that in a global context where you've got lots of different constituencies? You might, you know, within the States, it's a massive country. So you've got different customers, you've got different stakeholders, you've got different staffers in different parts of the country, different shareholders. And, and companies are sometimes a little nervous, aren't they, to get involved in that way and act with certainty. So what, it, what, is, what are you advising them to in, in how they should navigate that? Well, a perfect example is Starbucks, which, as you know, a month ago had an incident in Philadelphia. And they could have followed the classic uh, PR playbook, which is apologize, make restitution to the two aggrieved individuals, uh, and call it a day. Well, that's not what they did. They actually decided that Starbucks needed to lead the discussion on race. They needed to fix the problem by having a uh, education program for half a day closing their stores and that this would be the beginning of a discussion with employees uh, and with society. So that to me is acting with certainty. And how did Edelman play into that? What's your role in supporting that sort of those sort of actions? Well we had some role in media relations. We had some role in advising on what um, the uh, discussions would be with employees. We had some role in uh, outreach to uh, third parties. Um, we worked very closely with John Kelly, who magnificently led this uh, exercise for Starbucks, um, and with Kevin Johnson, who, as CEO, um, stepped up in a very public manner um, on broadcast and also going to Philadelphia to deal with the, the issue. Yeah, he went there quickly that weekend, didn't he? Um, did, did, is it possible to measure what, you know, what that achieved? It was bold because you lose half a day's revenue from every single store, and we all know how many Starbucks there are in the country. Um, is it possible to sort of take the temperature of what that achieved and how, how it went down and, and, and what the feedback was? It's too early on Starbucks to uh, determine the, the you know, upside in terms of reputation. But I can tell you in other crises, um, for example, with uh, United, after they took very strong action in the wake of um, their problem with the passenger last year, um, they recovered their reputation within months um, because they changed their policies. They moved to $10,000 instead of $1,000 to have a person give up his or her seat. Um, and, and that's significant because it gives you the premise on which you can have an, a good discussion with the public. Do you think they really have 
recover their reputation because they seem to keep making more folk power, like you know, stuffing a dog in an overhead compartment or something like that. There's still a bit of work to do with something someone like United, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's work to be done, and, and the same with um, with Wells Fargo. But um, these companies are determined. They're led by um, very decent CEOs and who who understand that it's about the employees first um, and and the customers. That that Wall Street will respond to a happy company and happy customer. It does feel like territory where, you know, an ad agency wouldn't feel particularly comfortable. They would probably run a mile in a case of a crisis. Um, are you finding that CEOs are much more responsive if you compare it to when you, 40 years ago, when you first started, and you're getting more access to the C-suite with that old cliche about being at the table? Have we got finally got through that? And, and most, most C-suites now understand the value that smart communications adds or has to add, especially in case of a crisis. CEOs definitely understand that um, their five-year tenure um, is, frankly, determined by their success in managing these problems. And the complexity of dealing with the populist trend or the trade issues or uh, the rapid um, change that's implied by automation, all of these are bearing on the ability of companies to operate. And so we are definitely involved at a strategic level as well as in a uh, execution. And you compared yourself with the ad agencies there. If you look at the other end of the food chain, if you like, with the consultancies, management consultancies, where does P PR play a role in there that maybe the consultancies can't um, or don't feel as comfortable as, as PR folks? Consultancies have an advantage over PR in having depth in data. Um, and understanding also design and build um, of, of, of web services. Um, where we have an advantage is in a deeper understanding of the problem of public acceptance and of uh, the tenor of the times. And so um, in a certain way, um, we meet in the middle. And both of us are competing with the ad agencies, which have had um, the third part of the triangle, which is advantage and creative. And so our goal by hiring um, more than 500 creatives and planners and paid people into Edelman is to make the case that we start from a different mindset of earned at the core, social by design, and that we work across earned, owned, shared, and paid that actually paid for us as a reinforcement of the other, um, as opposed to the primary, um, and that our ideas actually um, change how a brand is working, as opposed to just perceived. So you're talking about acting with certainty, but you're not losing that communications marketing. This is a sort of build, build on top of that. You talk about bringing in 500 creatives and, and doing other things. What's been the most difficult part of that? Because I'm sure that was a big cultural change for, the, for those people coming in, but also for you guys uh, in you know, welcoming them into your company and getting people within the company used to working with a different type of person, people with different skills, not just the creatives, but the people with data skills, people with media skills, etc. This is a massive cultural transformation for our industry, Steve. And so in a way, you have three tribes. You have PR, you have digital, and you have creative. Uh, but the success of our firm in being able to do great work for REI 
on Opt Outside or Heineken on the um, Open Your World. This all and 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 today um, or last week, breaking the ASICs campaign about Run in the Darkness shows the power of PR plus creative and plus digital. If we can get all three of those to work, um, you know, all of the PR industry is going to benefit um, as to taking share from digital firms or uh, ad agencies. Yeah, let's widen it out a bit because we've seen other firms who saw Ogilvy sure. last week yep. sort of didn't really say much more than they said 15 months ago, but they did sort of build it out globally. You've seen Ketchum change the way they're going to market. Everyone's kind of coming up with their own, the big agencies are coming up with their own sort of version of communications marketing. If it is PR's time and if, uh, the you know, it, it seems like the skills, the paid-owned, shared-owned mix is so pertinent. Why isn't PR doing better? And, and why is everyone having to change their offer so radically? You know, what, what, what's that all about? Why aren't we doing better? And, and what do you think of these other ways of going to market? Well, Ogilvy has a very uh, advertising-centric approach. And that's a holding company approach. And I think in many of the firms... It's been difficult to diversify outside of the PR swim lane because one could say, sitting from above, look, we have enough creatives. You know, they sit at the ad agencies or they sit at our digital specialist firms. And so this is a inevitable, slow force that you can see coming. Um, and the heads of the PR agencies have to fight their corner um, in the discussions in the holding companies. We're fortunate to be on our own. But, you know, Andy Polanski's done it well at Weber, for instance. He's made a good case to enter public. Good. The rest of them t- should as well. And over time, our kind of thinking is going to win um, because it actually suits the time. People don't just want pretty pictures, uh, and they don't just want handsome guy, good-looking girl in a car. They actually want to know what the car feels like and drives like and um, where it's made and what its gas mileage is. They're, they're buying on rational and emotional. And they, they want to be part of a community and they want to actually give feedback to brands and they want to feel part of the sales process and they want to feel valued. And I don't believe any longer in just the classic uh, purchase funnel of, you know, you get to awareness and preference and purchase. I actually believe in relationships and advocacy. And that's what we know how to do in PR. We know how to get advocates. So we just have to keep at it. Even if the growth rate of the industry for the big firms last year was you know, 1% or whatever, it is coming our way. Just have confidence. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at Ogilvy, you know, some of their biggest wins like VA have been with that sort of um, earned first offer. And Stuart Smith at Ogilvy, you know, says he's, he's never, that he feels the advertising people have suddenly discovered earned media mm. and, and realized its power. If you look at Publicis, they're going in much more as an integrated offer. We've heard a lot about horizontality with Sir Martin Sorrell and, uh, you know, the way that WPP may be ditching that word, maybe because they've kind of ditched him, but that seems to be the same sort of idea, you know, that you actually get the, the parts together and go in with more an, of an integrated solution. What, what's your take on that? And what can you bring to the table as opposed to a holding company where they've got all those bits in, you know, supposedly in the same, uh, in the same company? If all, the, if all the bits of the holding company actually came to the table with equal status, it would be one thing. But I don't believe that. 
I think it's still an advertising-led exercise or media buying. And uh, so I believe in the model of pick the best firm in each category, make them sit at a table, have a jump ball as to who has the best idea. And so if it's one that causes the evolution of the brand, probably would be the PR firm. And so that's why we've been able to prosper in the last decade when everybody said, oh, you know, unless Edelman sells to a holding company, you're doomed. Well, uh, my father and I never bought that idea, and I think the results speak for themselves. We're doing just fine as the uh, best place for a brain surgery, <laughs> for instance. But now we're also diversifying our own offer because we see the power inherent in digital and creative and events and entertainment. So, you know, we're, we have our own answer. We're, we're like a tree with branches. And, you know, that's quite different um, to a sort of horizontality where it's like a supermarket and you go put it in your shopping basket. I don't believe in that. Yeah, you've got a United Entertainment Group doing films, entertainment, sports. You, you talked today about more of a consultancy-led offer. Um, Ogilvy last week talked about a consultancy-led offer. Um, talk us through that. You know, you're kind of building those building blocks organically rather than having them as separate pieces. So we have a client leader, and that person is um, tasked with taking um, the client from Edelman and Brand uh, to add in corporate, to add in crisis, then um, you know, digital or um, UEG as, as is appropriate. And the idea is to have fewer P&Ls, more shared. And again, this, you know, if, if Martin is about horizontality, we're about verticality, just to swap words <laughs> do you think some do you think martin will come back he's going to be at can he's he says he's launching a new thing he's always there's obviously been some revelations today uh, over the weekend um do, do you think you expect to be uh, sort of crossing swords with martin sorrell again sort of somewhere down the line martin is an irrepressible character and he is a brilliant operator um who has proven it by building a 21 billion dollar business and I suspect that even at, you know, 73 and, you know, he will be back. You can count on it. Yeah, yeah. And do you feel we're lacking in characters like him or uh, who actually are just advocates for the profession of marketing or communications generally? Because it seems to be the business community, the financial community doesn't really always understand it or understand the value of it. And that was one of the things he was terrific at, you know, whether you loved him or hated him. He was good at that. He was much better at it than the other holding company bosses. It's something you make an effort to get out there with the trust barometer and Davos, et cetera, and being a front person. Do you think we need more people like that, just making the case for the value of what communications and marketing offers? I think it's deeply important to have um, people who come forward um, and you know describe an industry. David Ogilvy, Bill Burnback, you know George Lois. Um, that is gone from the ad business, and so the opportunity actually is for uh, people in the PR sector to speak up um, because the issues actually suit us more than the ad sector um, at the moment. 
Yeah, it was interesting. They harked back so strongly to Ogilvy, didn't they, with their new offer? You know, really get sort of um, get back to the future, if you like. So, uh, yeah. So, any other trends we can expect to see in 2008? You know, you talked about maybe 1% growth last year. Um, when we got you in for the agency report, you were, it was Q1 and you were optimistic, but it's everyone's cautiously optimistic at the moment. What, what are you thinking now, halfway through the year? So, I think that the business. Um, is quite uh, quite good in in, in technology, um, in uh, in healthcare. Um, the consumer product sector is under some pressure, um, food business, um, and there's no automatic dividend to uh, growth in uh, developing markets. In fact, um, you know Brazil and, and others are challenged. Um, so I think it'll be an okay year for the uh, industry. But what we need to do is play for a five to ten year time horizon. Make sure that the work that we're doing is important and gets noticed and can, therefore, becomes vital for us um, as we hope that the PR industry in its own segment is able to win the majority of the awards because too many of them are won by the ad agencies. I think our work is getting better. I don't speak for other agencies, uh, but I've seen it and, and I'll... I am really confident that we're going to win some uh, lions. Yeah, that's a good segue. Um, I read a blog by one of your former employees, Alan van der Molen, who's uh, on the jury this year, and he, he was actually, having done the process, said he understood more why the ad firms kind of did better, and he was sort of had a lot more sympathy with John Clinton of your company, who was the head of jury um, previously. Um, and he was saying that the ad firms do still seem to be able to present their work in a better way. But on the other hand, PR firms have been doing better in the other categories, haven't they? You guys won um, the top. Titanium. Yeah, you won the Titanium uh, line. With, uh, that was with REI, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, sometimes when I talk to ad agencies, they're actually worried about the PR firms coming into their space. So how important is that? I mean, you've got a different jury set up this year. You've only got 10 jurists on site. Um, do you expect that to increase the chances of PR doing well, or is it just going to be the same old, same old? I think PR is going to do better. I think that, um, you know, for example, at Edelman, um, we had a process where, in fact, the account team didn't necessarily prepare its own entry. We had entries done by um, a group that uh, specializes in film and uh, storytelling, and mm -hmm. so our, our entries are better. And at the same time, I'm sure others are, are ramping it up. None of the PR people, Karen Van Bergen or others of us, you know, we don't want to walk out of the Palais muttering again. You know, <laughs> we have to drink too much after or otherwise. <laughs> no, we want to win, and we should win. Our work is terrific. We have to present it in a way that's compelling and not just for um, the Western crowd because the jurors are from all over the world, and we have to be sensitive to that which matters. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you expect at Cannes? It's a condensed show this year. It's Monday to Friday. PR's on the Thursday, so it's on the penultimate night. It's almost got a, a more high-profile stage. Um, you've got uh, other other in interesting things going on on the Friday, but it will be more condensed. It feels like fewer people are going, but that actually might be more... Uh, it might make the event more credible and more fun, or, but actually more useful because it, is, it had got extremely large. What, what are you thinking about next week and what do you expect to see? What else do you expect to see? Well, um, 
I want to um, see more uh, panels on, on China. Apparently, the attendance of, by Chinese firms is up by a third, um, and not just Tencent, but like Highlink and Leo Group ad agencies. Um, and there's also going to be much more visibility for Accenture and, and some of these other uh, consulting firms. I want to see what they're up to. Um, and I also want to actually watch on the diversity and inclusion initiative. Um, Antonio Lucio of HP CMO is really pushing the industry in a constructive way to have people of color um, in creative um, and, and, on, and, and, and women. I, it's really important that um, we change the face of the business because it's the future. And it's, uh, it's to his credit that he's done that. And what about, uh, it was interesting today seeing publicists who, who are supposedly <laughs> taking a year off, but they've actually got nearly 400 entries <laughs> into the Lions paid for by their clients. That must be a good uh, scam to, uh, to uh, if you can get away with it, although the cynical might say that they're going to end up paying for those uh, entries anyway. Um, what do you feel about that? And they're also getting a, a, a main stage show for their Marcel AI platform. So the sort of prize for not engaging was... A spot on the main stage and 400 uh, entries paid for by their clients. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Look, um, the reality is that great creatives want their work to be shown, and it's um, a inexorable <laughs> tide of uh, clients. Again, also wanting to be credited um, and to keep good people on their business. So. Um, I think publicists will be back next year in force, and this is this is an important time for the holding companies. They 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 need to uh, make sure that uh, CMOs appreciate the value of the spend. It's not okay to have Procter say, you know, we we're able to sell the same amount of Tide uh, by having fifteen percent less uh, advertising spend. That cannot work. It's more than fifteen, isn't it? They're cutting the. Budgets in half on from 800, what well, I spend with agencies from 800 million to 400 million. Yeah, listen, Richard, um, 40 years, but still going strong, showing no signs of letting up. What's uh, what does the next uh, five years hold for you, and uh, how do you keep that energy up and uh, make sure you're pushing that uh, juggernaut towards that one billion mark because uh, you're getting closer? We are indeed. Um, so I have three or four things on my agenda. Um, the, uh, the first is to deliver on this idea of act with certainty, to get companies to really step into this void being left by government. And I think that business plays an incredibly important role at this time of instability. Um, and, and that leads me to my, my, my sort of second point, which is part of that has to be in the next three or four years to look at what's going to be the effect of automation. You know, Amazon is rolling out these stores with no employees. This is a perfect issue for PR to get ahead of. And 3 million Americans are truck drivers. And in 10 years, they're not going to have jobs because they're going to be autonomous trucks. What are we going to do with these people? Again, let's get ahead of these issues, particularly in, in, in tech. Um, and the last is um, I, I really want to um, write a book on trust um, because – I've worked on this trust barometer for 18 years. I have very specific views about going direct to the end user of information, having consumer platforms so that there can be dialogue, um, working closely with um, CEOs on uh, getting them to speak up and stand up 
particularly on, on Me Too and, and other gender-related issues. So, um, and I also want to mentor my three daughters and, you know, get them pushed in the right direction if they want to do it. Yeah, okay. Well, we're looking forward to tracking that. We are bringing our conference to Chicago mm. in October to the Merchandise Mart, which is where, it's all, where it all started for you, I think. Well, I have great memories of uh, being age seven and running around the halls there on Saturdays with my hockey stick and trying to, uh, with a tennis ball, not smash the windows. <laughs> I only did one that I remember. Um, but uh, the, the Merchandise Mart is a great venue for you. It's a changed building. There's, there's a bunch of ad agencies. There are a bunch of uh, companies in there. Kellogg's is in there. Conagra. Conagra's in there. Um, and Spirits and, Company. Yeah, uh, and, 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 yeah, Beam Centauri's Beam, there. Yeah, and, and so... Um, you know, from the days of Joe Kennedy <laughs> owning the Merchandise Mart where it was just a showroom for, uh, you know, furniture, it's now a very vibrant hub and it's a damn good choice. And maybe I'll get a poster of my old man in his, old, in his, well, you know in his what? first they, office. They, they are shining images onto the whole building. Um, that week, as I understand it. So well, hey, I was, it I could would, be an opportunity for you then. I was actually trying to get a, a statue of my dad on his passing. I, I, I wrote to the you know, family of that owned the merchandise mart, and I said, you know, please put a head of my dad on here, and don't have just him. Have Leo Burnett, have Mr. Footcone and Belding. I said, doesn't it have to be retail? He goes, ah, we don't. We like those empty pedestals. I said, guys, <laughs> you put heads on them for God's sakes. Anyway, I well, tried. Maybe that's a revenue opportunity for them if yeah. you watch well, billions. Was, um, <laughs> but yeah, we're looking forward to that. It's on uh, October the eighteenth, and getting a great reaction from the Chicago market. Looking forward to go there. Got our diversity distinction in PR awards out for entries until July. So make sure, to your point earlier, very important, and um, we want to see the best work and the best initiatives from agencies in that. But uh, Richard, always a pleasure. Thank you, Steve. Uh, thanks for taking the time to come see us, and uh, yeah, we'll see you in Cannes next week, I'm sure. And uh, let's hope the PR industry comes away happy, not uh, with their tails between their legs. But uh, we will. We're feeling optimistic. Yeah, damn right. Let's all go right. get this. Sounds good. Thank that's you. That's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.